thank you for joining me to discuss this question of how the mediator skills training might have rubbed off on you personally and professionally. Any aspects of the training, such as active listening skills or thinking about process more actively, does anything come to mind? How to become a litigating lawyer drilled in this. This is what you need to do. And this is how you need to be assertive. And you need to be a shock. You need to be shocked. You need to be thinking and all of that is good and well, but in being a shark and sharp and you sort of kind of miss the details, you miss the real, the realness and the humanity and 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 the points at which you connect with people. And mm. I think in learning the process of mediation has sort of kind of re reinforced my natural instincts, which I had to unlearn. And now it's it's really teaching me to go back to the basics, take your time and, and really understand the issues and understand the people that you're talking to and really talk with these people with an intention of listening and hearing what their needs are and hearing what they, I'm scared of saying the word feelings because I'm a lawyer, <laughs> but really the feelings because those are the things that drives the needs and, and therefore the complaints and the dispute itself. And sometimes you, you, you have to deal with those too. I think that has been the biggest lesson that I've taken out of this. And I think in, in the way that I now advise clients and in the way that now I, I communicate with clients is sort of kind of drawing from uh, what information I get from them and knowing that, I don't know, if you, if you focus on the process, um, the outcome will come. Yes, yes, yes. Well, you've got it in one, because that's absolutely key learning of our course, that process kind of leads, good process leads to good outcome. And that actually in the discussions, remember how we have that triangle idea that you, you often start off with the legal you know, the positions and the demands and the facts. And what you're highlighting there is that that's, that's important, but it's only actually half of the story or maybe a third of the story. There's the business dimension, commercial dimension, and then there's the personal, the person, and you, you're highlighting the person and how they feel and their concerns, their needs, and how that's so much a driver of how they're hanging on to the facts and they're hanging on to the past. So just being what you're saying, I think is being able to kind of see things in a broader perspective, unpacking a bit more can be helpful. That's interesting. Have you got an example of where that worked? With the kinds of, of mediations that I've been doing or, or the disputes that I'm currently working on, I've been doing family law mediations as well as uh, employment mediations, which I think are more more similar in in the sense that more personal things come through uh, mm -hmm. when you're talking about an employer and an employee. Um, these people usually work together and they work in the same office. And usually, um, either the dispute is about someone being dismissed or someone being treated unfairly at work. In most of the cases, one or both of the people involved in the dispute would want to go back to work and carry on having a relationship which is the same thing in family mediations because they have to go back to their homes and, and carry on with their relationships and I think in the way that I've now tackled those kinds of issues I don't really focus on because when when people come in uh, usually they come in with some kind of apprehension 
and feeling not relaxed and I'm not really mistrusting the, the, the process itself. And oftentimes, especially with family law ones, the court has mandated this mediation. So it's not really voluntary, uh, it's court mandated. And so they feel like we have to be here and we, uh, we don't really have a choice. And then in that instance, you sort of kind of have to think, okay, the main event is the agreement in relation to parenting of the child or what's going to happen with your assets and all of that. That's the main thing. But what you, what comes through immediately is I, I have a right, I'm, I'm the father of this child, I have the right to access this child, or uh, we are married in community of property, therefore everything is 50-50 and we have to split it that way because these are our rights. And mediating those kinds of disputes and what has helped calming down um, because people come in very emotional and, and very spirited and they come through with the spirit that uh, this is another part of our fight and I have to, to fight at the get-go. Um, they come in with vows and uh, they come in with lists of things and they come super prepared to argue. And what I have learned to do is divorce myself from the outcome that I wish for, for them, which is at the end of this, I'm committed to a settlement and also try and divorce, get them to divorce themselves from that idea and just realize that if we focus on the process, we keeping in mind all the things that we want because we want certain things out of this process. And um, they've also engaged in this process because they want an agreement um, at the end of this, which is going to settle their dispute. But if we look at the whole picture, uh, if we take a step back and look at the whole picture and focus on the, on, the, on the common interests, usually in family law matters, it's the children are the common interest or the, the interest, the best interest of the child are, are the common interests between um, the two parents. And then we work our way back uh, and we use the information that we get in the process to fill in all of the holes to connect the bigger picture. That has been helpful for me as a person because it doesn't, it allows me an opportunity while in the process to not, to, to actually practice the impartiality, I think, uh, because I'm a lawyer and I'm a litigator, I'm a problem solver. When I hear people's problems, I'm already thinking of the solution. And so when we go through the process, when we, we start, when we start talking about what each party wants from the mediation and what are the ideas, the things that they want from the mediation and um, some of the uh, stories, the things that they are afraid of in relation to the issues that they have, then we, we sort of kind find commonalities uh, usually, and sometimes we, we we don't. The parties just go in completely the <laughs> different direction. And I think when I first started these mediations, I would panic when that happens because I thought, because I have the my my purpose of being involved in this is to to draw out an agreement, and therefore that's the outcome that I want, the outcome that I am hoping for. And so now, when they go in different directions. I realize that even in that way, even in if, if we have a partial successful mediation where there isn't an agreement, but um, most of the issues that they come with 
uh, usually dealt with. And in some ways, that is also a success. And for me, it's no longer a matter of the agreement itself. I, I no longer concentrate on reaching agreement, but following the process and, and reminding myself that, okay, now we, we come, let's come back to the process. There were certain issues that weren't clear. Let's come back and explore some more on these. Or maybe if there's something that I didn't understand. Let me try and understand what you're saying here. And it's helped me in that. Yeah. So sort of being brave about finding out more and uh, and probably in finding out more, you, you're using active listening skills. So you're hearing needs and interests and emotions and fears and concerns. You're hearing them and you're following up on them with perhaps some questions, paraphrasing, really trying to help them understand what's going on better. And that by doing that, you in a way free yourself from the solution you think would work best here. And it starts becoming more and more and more about what, what's important to them and yeah. what might be possible. Okay, so that's another point is, you know, people often come on our course and they think they get their accreditation and they're going to automatically get mediations. But what I like about what you've done is you've been very entrepreneurial. You've gone out there, made some contacts with people, put yourself out there, and you're no doubt doing this on, an, on a voluntary basis. And it's keeping your skills fresh. It's giving you the opportunity to practice and sort of really cut your your teeth coming into the field and build confidence. Yeah, yeah, it has, it has. I mean, it's it's also it's also broadened what I thought family law mediation would be about. I think it's it's a great opportunity for me to to learn more. Yeah. And then you said you're doing some workplace related mediation. Is that more? Is that kind of to do with relationships in the workplace where people come to you and you realize that actually it could they could benefit by talking? Um, where I have actually, I think it's I've been looking for or actively looking for opportunities to do more mediation work, and I've looked at my current clients and I've identified areas or clients who could actually use mediation before start with any uh, other types of dispute resolution. And in some cases, uh, certain clients are more amenable to that and some clients uh, say, nope, we just want to go to court. But in certain of the cases that I deal with uh, or the clients that I have, I first assess and see, okay, whether or not this is something that mediation can can work and uh, then I recommend mediation and uh, sometimes they take it up and sometimes they don't but in in that instance uh, the person the contact person would be the, the client who reached out to me and um, then we would try uh, and mediate. Mm. And of course from a cost point of view not just legal costs but also cost to an organization of time and reputation by trying to achieve a consensus-based solution rather than either disciplinary action or, or changing a constitution, as you say. It's, it certainly can be quicker and cheaper, but also you then don't lose what actually people have that they bring to the organization. Because as soon as you go into the contested terrain, and there's always, you lose the benefit of, the, of, you know, of what people bring. Um, yeah. Because they withdraw their support, they withdraw their energy, and something is lost. Yeah, I mean, yeah, especially with underfunded uh, associations and, and, and 
organizations, they really, really rely on the people who are involved in them. And the people who are involved in them are the most spirited ones of, and um, they sort of kind of own the idea and own the, yes. the, the organization. And so it's, it's, it, it, it does not help anybody if people just break away from one another. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's uh, what's been happening uh, in relation to those kinds of issues. So if I think of our competencies, you know, super awareness of how we're interacting, you've said also an awareness of process and slowing things down. And then you've talked about content in terms of that the content is not just the facts, the claim, the dispute, rejigging the constitution. It's uh, actually a whole lot of things. Um, and it's through that exploration of feelings, the personal, the commercial, the different dimensions that, that people come to conclusions that are just so much more effective than just going down the sort of adversarial route. 